Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Chris Whitaker. He is the author of We Begin at the End, which is published by our friends at Henry Holt and Company. Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, um, to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. It's an honor to have you here, Chris. Um, before we talk about your excellent new novel, We Begin at the End, I have a couple of questions. First, according to your author bio, you work part-time at a local library where you get to surround yourself with books. Um, I worked at a library, Chris, before I managed a bookstore. And before I worked at that library, I managed a different bookstore, which is just to say that I really felt the the sentence in your author bio, as I obviously like to be surrounded by books as well. Um, What does it mean to you to be surrounded by books? Oh, I've um, kind of everything. I've had a lot of jobs in my life and um, working at the library is without doubt my favorite out of all of them. I've been, um, you know, since I was a kid, I used to, my dad used to take me at the weekends to the library and I'd, um, when I was about 10 years old, I discovered Stephen King and I used to um, take, I, I took a copy of it and would hide it inside a comic book because I wasn't allowed to read it because um, I scared myself terribly. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd go and hide somewhere in the library and it's just, my whole life has been books, you know, being surrounded by books. And um, yeah, I just feel at home. You know, when you walk into a bookstore and you feel like you could be friends with everyone in there. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? That sounds a bit weird, but it just feels like, yeah, I feel an affinity with them. Um, yeah. Yeah, I totally understand. Thank you, Chris. Have the libraries uh, there been open this past year? Or are they opening back up? How's that going? Yeah, so I've been working every day, but they're not. They're open, but not kind of open as as we know it. Like mm-hmm. you can um, you can go online and request some books. Yeah, uh, not specific books, but you can choose a genre. Like you can choose crime books or something like that, and then we library workers go and choose them for mm-hmm. you, and then you can pick up your pack of books at the door. So. Um, no matter what you you ask for, really, you will get one of my books if I'm working in that. I just, yeah, self-promotion. Yeah, good job. That's, that's what you got to do, Chris. Thank you very much. Um, My next question is regarding independent bookstores. Uh, Indies recently made your novel their Indies next pick for the month of March. This is something that requires a vote uh, and a review from an enormous amount of independent booksellers in March, specifically March 2nd, when your book came out, saw a ton of gigantic releases. Uh, What does it mean to you to be embraced by independent booksellers in this manner? Um, So when I found out, I thought, um, Amy, my my editor told me um, a little while ago, and I thought she was joking, Mm because like you say, you know, there's so many amazing books coming out. And, um, And I was really... Well, I was kind of shocked for ages and humbled. And I know, um, you know, just how passionate um, indies are, you know, about books and how many they read. And and you can go into a bookstore and ask for, for advice. You know, you could just say any kind of genre and they would be an expert. There would be an expert working there, someone that could guide you. So that the fact that they chose chose my book, kind of our book at, at the publisher, uh, yeah, it's um, it's hard to put into words just how much it means. And um, I got to, I got to write some notes to everyone that voted the other day. So um, that was really cool. And um, yeah, just 
the, the smallest thing I could do. I did want them to fly me over so I could go and thank everyone in person, but apparently <laughs> the budget doesn't stretch to that. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, that's really cool that you did that. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, let's talk about this novel, We Begin at the End. First, uh, it is about a quarter to a third of the way into your novel before we encounter a passage that includes your title, and it is in reference to a conversation uh, about church. What does this title mean, and how is it alluded to in the context of your novel? So the um, the book begins 30 years before the, the kind of main story begins. There's, there's a kind of prologue at the very beginning, and... Um, it starts with the death of a child and and that kind of that point in the story is the end for a lot of these characters lives you know they can't move past that and they spend their whole whole lives kind of under the shadow this horrible event that's happened and um just unable to to kind of escape it and and it just felt right and i don't ever name my books because this is my third book and the first two you know i tried to give them names and then the sales department changed the names things like that so I called the prologue of this book we begin at the end because it fits so perfectly in the hope that they would take it you know yeah. and um and they did yeah and it's referenced a couple of times throughout the book and um yeah the the church reference that you're talking about the um the priest says it to um to the father of that girl that died to in the hope that um you know it will make him feel better you know that she's living kind of somewhere else you know gone mm-hmm. up to heaven um, yeah Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Um, The first name that we encounter in this novel is Sissy Radley. Uh, Of course, there are many more Radleys as the novel progresses, but the first thing I think about when I see this name on the first page is Boo Radley from To Kill a Mockingbird. Was this an intentional parallel? And if so, how and why? You know, it it actually wasn't. Um, I don't know if I did it subconsciously Mm because... comparisons have been drawn you know very flatteringly between duchess the, the kind of star of the book and um and obviously yeah so i i didn't i don't know i guess i am um, on some level maybe i did but yeah it wasn't it didn't feel intentional at the time it just i, I kind of named duchess a long long time ago and then every, everything else kind of happened around her you know as the as the book progressed but yeah, no, it's, it didn't. But yeah, it's nice that, that people even mention them in the same breath. Oh, for sure. And another question about names, Chris. Um, this novel, at least regarding the way that you name your characters, seems almost allegorical in places. Uh, the sort of shady, scary characters named Dark, the star female character in the beginning of the novel is named star um the cop who patrols on foot is named walk my question chris is did you write this novel as an allegory or was this just a clever way to name your characters um maybe both i don't i i kind of i give it a lot of thought you know the names i am um, i write about a big chunk of the book with you know the characters can have different names and and it just if it doesn't feel right then I go back and work out why it doesn't feel right mm-hmm. and and these felt right you know these felt Duchess was named um, because my grandfather was a big Johnny Cash fan mm-hmm. so I grew up listening to a boy named Sue you know things like that and I wanted to write this character that didn't really stand a chance you know and and her name makes her a victim. You know, she's trying to keep her head down. She wants to stay out of trouble. And, and with a name like that, 
you know, she gets bullied, basically. Yeah, but as for the other ones, um, yeah, they just felt right. I'm a big believer in kind of gut feeling and, you know, what I go with what feels right and what. And, um, yeah, they just, they, they felt like the right the right names and walk was named so he's chief walker but no one called everyone's called him walk and he still refers to himself as walk because he um he is one of those characters at the beginning of the, the story that can't move on you know and he's kind of stuck in his 15 year old self um back when that was his nickname and yeah it just it felt right nice thank you chris what's your favorite johnny cash song um Probably that one for that very reason. But I was watching Walk the Line the other day. Oh, yeah. Um, the movie, yeah, because it was, um, I'd done a really late uh, 3 a.m. because of the time difference, because I'm mm-hmm. just outside London. I did a 3 a.m. event the other night and I, I'm a bit, I'm a terrible sleeper anyway. And mm-hmm. that was on. And I ended up watching the whole thing again and just, um, yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's a, I thought they did a really good job with that. They did, yeah. Joaquin Phoenix is a great actor, too. He is. Really yeah. Right. Thank you, Chris. Listeners, we are going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Chris Whitaker. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Chris Whitaker, author of We Began at the End, which is published by our friends at Henry Holt and Company. Chris, the outlaw, Duchess Day Radley, such a great, great character. Uh, For our listeners, can you tell us who is Duchess Day Radley and why is she an outlaw? Okay, so Duchess is the 13-year-old kind of beating heart of the story. You know, she's very much at the center and um, she she's struggling in many ways. Her mum is an addict. Her brother is kind of in her sole care. So she's not, she, though she's 13, she's not really a child. She's never really had a childhood. She doesn't know what it means to be a child. And um, she's kind of, she's just very much alone. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't have any friends at school. She's bullied. She um, is struggling to find her path in life and um, she just wants to keep her head down for everything you know it's kind of a fragile ship that they sell through life on her and her family and um, and she finds out she finds out that um, a convicted so that the girl that's killed at the start of the book the um, the person responsible for that death is coming back to the town and that's her mother's old boyfriend and she's kind of terrified that they're going to rekindle something and it's all just going to go wrong and so she makes a decision to do something about that and, and kind of wrecks a lot, you know, of people's lives and well, just affects them deeply. And she's she doesn't know who her father is. So she's got no real identity and she's got no other family. And um, she's doing a project at school on her family tree, researching it. And she finds a link to a to an outlaw 
a long distant link you know it's very tenuous and she kind of grasps hold of that because that gives her something that gives her kind of a tangible route to hold on to and it also um she calls herself an outlaw when she needs to be brave and and she um declares herself you know an outlaw when she's um when she's in trouble and when she's doing something bad she'll kind of she has a reason for her being you know it's this you know i'm an outlaw i'll do what i want i excuses some of the things she does and um she was great fun to write she was mm-hmm. yeah and continuing along these lines uh for duchess and her young brother robin um what is it like for them growing up with their mother star there is a heartbreaking scene early on in the novel where someone is trying to tell Duchess how to find something in the hospital and she cuts them off because she already knows where it is because she's been there so often. But what is life like for these children? Yeah, it's, um, it's about as tough as it can be, I think. Um, Star, her heart is in the right place. You know, she obviously cares about her children, but she um, she's just not physically able to parent. You know, she... Um, she has so many issues and they stem from her own childhood. So Robin is kind of insulated from it by Duchess. You know, he, he, she protects him in every way that you can protect someone else. But um, that works to a point, you know, he still sees things that a child shouldn't see. And she kind of, she spends her time worrying. Like Duchess is kind of already written off herself. You know, her, her own life is gone. She doesn't, she, but Robin is, you know, if, if she succeeds with Robin, she's kind of, she's kind of done okay and that's you know as heartbreaking as that is for a 13 year old to think that is the way that she carries herself and the way that you know everything every decision she makes is kind of colored by this need to to look after robin and, and make sure he doesn't turn out in in the same way that she's turned out Right. Thank you so much, Chris. And um, about the setting of your novel, I'm hoping you can tell our listeners about this small town of Cape Haven, especially the types of characters that populate such small towns. I'm thinking of uh, Brandon Rock, for example. I like Brandon Rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and no one ever talks about Brandon Rock. So thanks for bringing up Brandon Rock. Yeah, yeah I, um, I wanted to set the book, you know, I wanted to Cape Haven's a fictional town but it's in Northern California I put it down in a real location obviously I don't live there I haven't been to California which presents some some challenges when writing but I wanted to make this town that was perfect 30 years ago you know it was this perfect because Walk the character of Walk like I said before he has this you know these roads rose tinted glasses when he looks back at his past you know this idyllic childhood that he had and and he does everything he can to keep this town exactly as it was in his memory because that's when he was happiest so it's um it's a beautiful town but it's it's struggling and and people are buying parcels of land to build these kind of big fancy houses and he is doing his best to stop that from happening you know and and he's ill as well you know without spoiling anything he is sick in the book and and the, the town every so every so often it's on the coast and the um the ocean will come in and kind of strip away some of the land and every now and then one of the houses will just fall into the sea and and that very much mirrors walk you know and his um he's kind of losing parts of himself as the story goes on no matter how hard he kind of tries and um and then yeah so you have walk who's a policeman in this kind of sleepy town he's never really had to police anything but he's got yeah, so you come across characters like Milton, who works in the butcher's shop. He um, is a bit odd, 
and he he's lives across the the road from Brandon Rock, another one of Duchess's neighbours, and they kind of had a, have a feud, and and it's these kind of things that show you what walks day to day life is like, and that those are the sort of things that he has to deal with. And um, it was just great fun building the town. I really enjoyed it. You know, I like to um, I sit down at the library where I work and I kind of map out everything and I pour over the history books and I look at photos and travel guides and maps. And yeah, a lot of um, research goes into it before I write, write a single word. Mm-hmm. Well, geez, once, um, once the world returns back to some sense of normality or whatever the new normal is you need to visit california chris i do i do in montana i've been dying to go there you know i am um, half the book is set in montana and i loved writing those bits and mm. and um i was supposed to be in new york in a couple of weeks and that's been pushed back to to may because i haven't been to to america since i was eight uh, 21 mm. and um yeah and i've set a couple of books there now and yeah i really do want to go and i want to come and see you i want to come see your amazing shop yeah, come to North Carolina. That would be fantastic. Mm. Um, I did love that character, Brandon Rock, by the way, Chris. Um, in the beginning of the novel, yeah, he um, to cross over into the world of film for a moment. He reminded me of kind of uh, the intersection between Matthew McConaughey's character in Dazed and Confused and Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, that's exactly right. That yeah. is so perfect. That is exactly right. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was a fantastic character. Um, next question. You alluded to this a little bit earlier. Uh, about walk um he found sissy radley's dead body beside the road when he was a kid uh this happens at the very beginning of the novel this is not a spoiler listeners um he becomes a police officer um but he's sick um and his hands shake um and many people in this town believe that that's due to uh alcoholism or drug abuse uh what is it about walk that he allows people to believe this and what does it say um, about people's sense to uh, mistake uh, what is going on with people and their conditions yeah it's um so walk would rather people think that he has an alcohol problem or a drug problem because i think you know i wrote it like he would rather have that choice you know he's chosen to 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 drink too much or to take drugs or something like that mm-hmm. and and that gives him kind of some semblance of control you know over what's happening to him and and there's that also gives gives people a reason you know to or gives him a reason to kind of get up each morning and think that you know if people are thinking that then they they can they might also think that he has the ability to stop at some point and he will get better and go back to normal but of course we know that's not going to happen because he's unwell and that's not on the cards for him and I think kind of it's towards the end of the book that he you know without spoiling anything that he kind of owns up to everything and kind of faces it and and he's spent a long big chunk of his life you know looking back and all of a sudden looking forward is terrifying to him. You know, that, that's why he kind of clings so hard to the past. And he's forced to do that at one point in the book. And it's a big moment for him. And, you know, I did a lot of research into that, into what's wrong with him and interviewed people and, and things like that. And and had some messages actually from some people that are suffering with it. And and to know that I got it close to right is, you know, is means a lot to me. And yeah, I just wanted him to, he's kind of, it forces him to grow up really. You know, he's stuck in as a 15, as his 15 year old self and this, this illness that he's got, it, it very much forces him to be, you know, to, to age basically. 
and um and he finds it tough and you know being a, a cop is all he's ever, ever wanted to do and and he's worried that it's going to be taken away from him and you know that's his identity he doesn't have a wife or children or anything like that he is a policeman that's all he ever wanted to be and um the thought of losing that that means you know kind of he he ends up he's kind of linked to duchess in that way they don't really know who they are you know mm. without duchess is an outlaw you know that gives her something to grasp to walk as a policeman without that they don't really know who they are right thank you so much chris and finally uh, you alluded to this character earlier, but we, I don't believe we've called him by name. Can you tell our listeners about Vincent King? Who is he? What is his relationship with the Radleys? What is his relationship with Dark? Why is his body covered with scars? Okay, so um, Vincent King is the best friend of Walk and the um, the then partner, boyfriend of um, Star, Duchess's mother. And um, the book begins with the death of the child and Vincent is responsible for that death. And he goes to, to jail for, for that and something else that he later does, but he ends up spending 30 years of his life there. And he's very much a person that chooses not to outrun their past. You know, he, um, he has the, the death of a child on his, on his conscience and he, he can't possibly find a way past that. And he knows that. And so, when he's in prison, he, he he tries to serve the hardest time he possibly can, you know, and um, there's some self-harm, there's some getting into fights, things like that. There's He takes it to, to the level, there's a bit in the book where it talks about how you wouldn't even eat the um, the pudding, pudding cups at the, the prison because, you know, because everyone likes them and they taste nice and he wants to, he has no television in his cell and, and he is kind of, he comes up for parole a few times over the years and he tells the parole board that he's a danger to society, you know, and they shouldn't parole him. And eventually he serves his entire sentence and comes back and Walker's kind of been waiting for him to come back. And so they can pick up where they left off and Walker kind of naively thinks that 30 years in prison won't have changed his friend. Um, but it's clear that Vincent has no interest in life, you know, anymore. He, um, he comes back to the to the old family home and begins restoring it, but there's a reason that he's doing that, you know, and it's not because he wants to live somewhere nicer or or sell it and make more money. And um, but this this piece of land is kind of, kind of the last kind of piece of the puzzle for Dark, the local property developer, and and he needs this house. He needs Vincent to sell this house so that he can build you know, a big, a big line of um, seafront houses and make, make money that he desperately needs for his own reasons. And, um, and yeah, there's some trouble between the two of them. That's, that's how I'll put that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, I liked, I liked Vincent, you know, I kind of, I can't think of anything worse than, than what he, he did, but you know, the book, I wanted the book to show, you know, there's no, one dimension to any of the characters you know that we all do things that we regret and we all do bad things and we're we're all more than the worst things that we've done and, and that's certainly the case with Vincent. Absolutely thank you so much Chris and thank you for writing this excellent book it is a favorite of independent booksellers uh, everywhere and we hope that you will be able to come tour for it soon and that we can all meet you in person. Listeners I have been speaking with Chris Whitaker, author of We Begin at the End, published by Henry Holt and Company. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
once again, I would like to thank Chris Whitaker for joining me. Copies of We Begin at the End can be ordered at www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Booking.